So today, if you're turning with me in your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Second um, Chronicles 20. That's where we're going to start. And I want to talk to you about what you believe. I want you to just start thinking about that. What is it that you believe? Things that you believe, because this is huge. I, I don't know if you know how important this is. This can change everything. Your beliefs in life and what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself and what you believe about each other and what you believe about giving and what you believe, it can change everything. One belief. What you believe helps determine what you do. What you believe helps determine what you get and who you are with. Right. I mean, for me and Jesse to be married for 20 years, almost 20 years, we have to believe the same thing in a lot of different areas. If we didn't, it would be really hard to have a good marriage if we didn't believe the same thing. I mean, obviously there are times when we disagree and, and it's okay. Like God gives her the grace to be wrong every now and no. Or, or me. Right? So that, obviously, we don't. But if we didn't believe the same things, what would be a rough, rough time? What you believe determines who you can work with closely, who you're closely connected to. Um, so when I worked at the mattress factory in East Point, there was a guy that I worked with for a while, a younger guy who was in really good shape, fit young man. His name was Royal. I asked him how he got the name Royal, and he said, Crown. So just to give you a little bit about this, this young fella, his name was Royal, and he got pretty good at his job, and he ran our big bagging machine, which bagged all the mattresses and box springs that came through, so we needed him. He's the only guy that was bagging so production stops if he stops so one day we're in there working and Royals machines down about two machines from where my cousin Lonnie's machine was sewing and then it goes out to the trucks and I was loading trucks well East Point police come walking into the factory Royal looks up sees the East Point police and takes off running it may be faster than I've ever seen any human move he came by and almost knocked me down, grabbed his book bag with his lunch and all of his belongings that was hanging on the corner of the machine, and as he was running in a full sprint, threw that book bag over and caught it over his shoulders. And I'm like, what in the world is he doing? And I follow him, and then my cousin Lonnie comes out from behind the machine, and we're looking. This joker goes out the back, jumped the train tracks. There was an eight-foot-tall chain-link fence with razor wire on the top. Cleared it like nothing. <laughs> And a little bit of material ripped off of his shirt on the top of that razor wire. He hit the kudzu and we never saw him. Gone. People are screaming, what? Where? His machine came to a screeching halt. Royal's gone. He assumed that East Point police were there to lock him up. There was nothing to do with him. He wasn't even on their radar. We went in the office and asked, and they were there to talk to our boss about something. I don't even remember what it was. It was something completely unrelated to Royal. So we're like, hey, Royal's gone. The boss is like, what? We can't ship the trucks if he's not here running his machine. We're like, the machine stopped. Royal's gone. He thought they were here after him. And the boss is like, hey, I'm trying to talk to them. Just go outside and call him. Get him on his cell phone and tell him they're not here after him. Get back up here and do his job. So we're, we're dialing his phone over and over and over and over, hitting his cell phone over and over and over and over. Finally, Royal answers me. And all this, like, it sounds like a long time, but, you know, it's probably only been like 10 minutes. It all went so fast, and I'm calling his phone, calling his phone. He answers, hello. I'm like, Royal, where are you at? And he said, I got to go, man. They're after me. And I'm like, dude, they're not here for you. I just went in the office. I promise you, they're not here for you. And he's like, <laughs> he can barely talk on the phone. He's so out of breath. And he's like, you sure? You wouldn't lie to me. And I said, I'm not lying to you, dude. We need you. Can you come back up here and run your machine. It's okay. And he said, dude, you think you could come pick me up? I'm like, where are you at? 
It ain't been 10 minutes since you left. He said, I'm at church's chicken. And I was like, I was standing there by my cousin Lonnie's machine, and I was like, where's the nearest church's chicken? He said, there's one down there on Cleveland Avenue. That's got to be like five or six miles from here. I was like, Royal, how'd you get to church's chicken that fast? And he said, I don't know. I just kept running through some backyards and briar bushes, and, and I can't run anymore. So I went and told the boss, hey, I got to go pick up Royal. Went through the whole thing again. Well, where's he at? He can't just walk back. He just left him. I was like, he's at churches. I said, what? He thought he was getting locked up, and that's where he ran to? I was like, I think that's just where he got when I finally got him on the phone. So I went and got him, and his legs were all tore. I mean, tore up. Cut up and bloody, and he had briars and little those little hitchhikers you get when you run through the woods and He was all messed up. He was out of breath. He was dehydrated. We lost production for however long it took to get him back. And then he tried to get cleaned up and put stuff on his cuts. And then he had to get something to drink and sit down and take a break. And so we couldn't load the trucks and it held everything up. All because he believed they were after him. He believed they were out to get him. And it wasn't even true. It was a false belief, but it determined what he did, and it hurt everybody he was connected to. Not only did it hurt him, but it hurt all of us. Because now we got customers mad because the trucks aren't going out. I couldn't do my job. Nobody could do their job because the line was backing up. So his wrong belief hurt him, hurt us. He experienced loss because of a wrong belief I want you to realize that can happen to you if I believe that a foundation on a house is not necessary and I build a house and my belief is there's no need for a foundation I can build a house without a foundation and I'm going to get a not very good result because of my belief even though the belief It was a false belief, but I acted on it, so I get a bad result. But if I believe the truth, which is it needs a foundation, then I'm going to get a good result. Your beliefs can determine what you get in life. If you believe everyone's out to get you, then it'll affect the way you live. If you believe that other people are holding you back, then that belief will hold you back. And it'll always be somebody else's fault. It's always on somebody else because you believe that. And so it's true. You can be boxed in or made free by the things that you believe. Either way, it can put you in bondage and box you in or your beliefs can push you towards freedom, set you free. All right, we're going to read 2 Chronicles 20.20. And this is just to catch you up on what's going on in this story. If you don't know what's going on right here, God's people are, they should be very afraid right now. Three major armies have joined forces and come together and have decided to wipe God's people off the map. And they've got plenty of people, plenty of an army, like they can do it. It's not going to be a problem. So God's people are just about to all die, pretty much. The circumstances say it's over. Look what happens. And they rose early in the morning, and they went forth unto the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat, that was their king at the time, stood and he said, hear me. Or in other words, this is important. Everybody listen up. He says, hear me. O Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe. Believe, or that word is believe or have faith. Believe, have faith in the Lord your God. So shall you be established. Like you want to be established. I want to be established in life. He said, believe, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets. The prophets, they back then, they were... They heard God's word and they gave it to the people. 
And we have the Bible that speaks of all the prophecies and the prophets are in the Bible and we got God's word to us. So believe his prophets or believe his word. So shall ye prosper. Do you want to be established in life? I do. Do you want to prosper? And even for some people, I I hate it, but even me standing up here and saying the word prosper, it does something in some people. Hear a preacher talking about prosper. People have talked to me about they can't stand churches because all they want is your money. They can't stand preachers trying to con somebody out of their money or all that's based on a belief that they have. It's not a true belief, but it keeps them from obeying God. It keeps them from a life of generosity or a life of living with an open hand. I've heard people have said to me, all churches want is your money. But yet them same people, I've seen them go eat at McDonald's and when she says that'll be $14.97, they don't say, all McDonald's wants is my money. Well, yeah, we're a church and we feel this air. Make no mistake about it. You see these lights? You feel this air? Like all, like, yes. Last week we ministered to a hundred kids for two weekends in a row and, and changed some lives. But guess what? A lot of that came from you giving your money and helping to change the world and be a part of the kingdom. So, yeah, make no mistake about it. We, yeah, we want your money. We believe that God will bless you because it's a belief. But if you just believe that everybody's out to get your money, oh, they just want my money, and you don't give, then that belief will keep you from the blessing that God has for you. Your beliefs. Different beliefs lead to different choices, which create different outcomes. So do you want to be established? Do you want to prosper? Jehoshaphat just told us what we got to do. You believe God and believe his word. Believe what God said, not what it looks like around you. Because sometimes the circumstances, sometimes you're going to be in certain scenarios. You're going to be in places where it don't look like what God said is going to happen. Doesn't look like you're going to be okay. It doesn't look like if you spend your last little bit of money to help somebody out that you're going to be able to pay your power bill. Like sometimes what you're called to do or believe or trust, it, you're not going to be able to see it with your eyes. That's called faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We trust God and we believe God. That's, that's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be as Christians. We don't trust what we can see. You believe God and you believe his word. Like I said a minute ago, your beliefs will box you in or they will set you free. I don't know about you, but I want to be free. I want to live a free life, free to serve God and love people and help my fellow man and be what I'm called to be and walk in purpose. And there's so many things that I want to live in freedom. I don't want to live in bondage. Look at John 8 30. Look what Jesus says about your freedom and living in freedom and what you believe. John 8 30 as he spake it's Jesus as he spake these words many believed on him why the scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing so as Jesus spoke many people believed or had faith on him then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him interesting As he spoke, many people believed on him, and then he spoke only to the ones that believed. This is to just the believers. Why? Like, why didn't he say it to everybody? We just read they were all Jews, and Jesus came for all the Jews, and then later now we know he came for all the Gentiles too, but he came for everybody. So why didn't he just say this next word that he was about to say to everybody? Jesus only said it to the ones that believed. 
He only said it to the ones that had enough faith to believe what he was saying. Why? Because some things only apply to the ones that believe. You ever heard the saying, the man who thinks he can and the man who thinks he can't are both usually right? That's true. What do you believe? So Jesus spoke to the ones which believed, and he said, if you continue or live or stay in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. Notice, I'm going to point something out there, but truth there spelled with the lower case T. And the truth, lower case T, shall make you free. So I want to be free. I want to live in freedom. And Jesus said, hey, this is to the ones that believe. Why? Because this will benefit you if you believe. But if you don't believe, this is not going to benefit you. So there's no point in you listening to this. But for those of you that do believe, live in my word, stay in my word, continue in my word, and you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. See, Dusty Rutherford has a story inside of Jesus. And anything I write outside of him is fake. It's fiction. So the reason I pointed out that the truth and truth that were mentioned there is because I may have even preached this wrong before, but in doing some studying, um, the the truth that was used there, it's, it's a situational truth. The lowercase t gives it away on what word it is. Um, when, remember when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? It was spelled with an uppercase T. It was Jesus, the truth of God, like the truth, that the absolute truth. There's not different ways to look at it. Or Jesus said, I am the truth. Right? But this word that was used here with the lowercase t, he wasn't talking about himself or, you know, that he's the way or Jesus. It's a situational truth. So what does that mean? It means the people that he was talking to, and I would think some of us, they believe in him. We just read that they believed in him. And probably everybody in this room would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the way. I believe in him sub lowercase t, truth capital T, but they didn't know the truth, lowercase t. So like I knew God, but I just didn't have my situation right. Like I'm going to heaven one day uh, because I'm saved and I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, but I can't walk in freedom. I'm living in bondage because I don't know the truth about the situation. I don't believe the truth about the act. I feel like everybody's out to get me and not like I'm a child of God or not that he's given me everything I need. So I believe that situational truth of about my circumstances, my surroundings, the situation that I'm placed in, the enemies that show up, the giant that's on the hill screaming. What I choose to believe about the situations that I'm placed in determine whether I will be free or not. I believe in Jesus. He's the way, the truth. And I'm going to heaven because of the price he paid for me on the cross. But I want to walk in freedom while I'm alive too. I don't want to be in bondage because I never could figure out the truth about the situations. What you believe, it matters a lot. Sometimes we're just looking at the wrong thing. So what you believe about your life affects what you receive in your life. I heard this story about an old, a wise old man that used to sit at the gate of an ancient village. And everybody that came in, he would greet them and talk to them. 
And so one day this new family was coming in and he knew everybody in the village. So he knew when somebody new was coming up. And so this new family came up and they said, hello, um, how are the people in this village? What kind of people live here? And he said, well, let me ask you a question. What were the people like in the place where you left? And the man spoke up and said, well, you know, they were, the women were like a lot of women. They were real clicky and they liked to gossip and sit around and talk about other people. And, and the men had some major issues and they're, they're, they had some honesty problems. And it went on a minute for about how bad the place they left was. And so the wise old man said, well, I'm very sorry to tell you, but you'll find the same thing here in our village. People are the exact same. Good luck on your travels. Ten minutes later, another new family comes wandering up and they ask the same question. What kind of people live here, sir? And he said, again, I'll ask you, what were the people like where you left? And they said, they were wonderful. We hated to leave. Circumstances forced us out, but... They were just good neighbors and good people, and we had this community of faith, and we would meet together, and, and we just loved it. And if we needed anything, they were generous and would give to us, and when we had extra, we would give to them. And he said, oh, I'm happy to tell you, you'll find the same kind of people here in this village. Because what you believe, you'll find. And what you seek, you will find. Jesus said that, good or bad. He said, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. That's not just about good things. It's bad things too. So if I'm just looking for somebody to do me wrong, I guarantee you I'll find somebody to do me wrong. If I'm looking for people to be rude, I can go to Bremen Walmart right now, and if I'm searching for people to be rude, I'm going to find a bunch of them. Right? If I'm looking, if I'm just disgusted with humanity, I'll find a bunch of reasons to be. And if I go looking for great, friendly people, and if I go looking for people that love God and will smile and talk to me, and guess I'm going to find that too. It's what you believe. What do you believe about people? Look at Mark 9, 23. I know we're jumping around a lot, but I don't want to take too long. I really want to get to the point show you something that Jesus said and this is this is a crazy two verses right here it's Mark 9 23 and 24 is the two verses that we're going to read um, what happened was Jesus took his favorite disciples top three Peter James and John and they went up on a hill and they had this awesome experience and the other guys had to stay down at the bottom and while they were down at the bottom this crowd gathers and a guy shows up with his kid and he's like, he's demon possessed and the demon's trying to kill him. It keeps throwing him in fires and trying to burn him and it throws him in water and tries to drown him and I need y'all to cast him out. And so the disciples are like, we got this. Bring him over here. And they pray for him and it doesn't work. And then the demon starts trying to kill the boy. And they're like, oh no, what do we do? What do we do? What time did Jesus say he was coming back? Where's he at? Come on, hurry up, hurry up. So Jesus starts coming back down the hill and he's like, what in the world's going on down there? Look at that commotion. Wait, Peter, is that the other, is that the other disciples in the middle of that circle? And they get down there and the man explains what happened and I brought him to your people and they couldn't help me. In fact, they seem to have made it worse. And, and Jesus steps up and, and look what Jesus says in these two verses. Verse 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. All things. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Well, what about the things that are impossible? Jesus said, all things are possible if you can believe. You notice he didn't say believed one time. Like all things are possible if you believed. You got saved and gave your heart to Jesus. He didn't say like, you know what, one day you got saved and gave your heart to Jesus back in 1982. And then everything's possible because of that belief. Because one day you believed. No, he said, believeth. 
What does that mean? It's continuous. We're required to believe every day. We choose what we believe. We grow. It's like a relationship. It's just, it's just like a marriage. You, you, didn't, you got married on your wedding day, but then it's a daily thing from here on out. It's not like a one and done. Well, I'm married and I told her I loved her. That's checked that box and now we'll move on to whatever we're going to do with the rest of it. No. Like that's the start. Just like your salvation. When you got saved and realized what Jesus did for you and you asked him, however that happened for you, you asked him to live in your heart, whatever that looked like, that was the start of a relationship. It was the start of a conversation. It's you starting to talk to him. A holy, all-powerful God that wants nothing more than to be in relationship with you. To speak to you and commune with you and dwell with you. It's a start to him that believeth, that continually trusts and has faith and believes. And even if it doesn't turn out like you thought, you keep on believing. You know, in Hebrews, it tells us that um, uh, without faith that it's impossible to please God, that our faith pleases God. And a lot of times we get discouraged because we have faith for something. Say we're having faith that God will heal somebody and then God doesn't heal that person. Maybe you're having, you're, you're using all your faith and your belief that this is going to happen and then you get all upset because it didn't happen, right? You, you get upset. But that's because you're thinking that your faith was for an outcome. Faith is not to get a certain outcome. Faith is to please God. And God is pleased because you believed. Doesn't matter what happened in the situation. He's big enough to use it. But you had faith and you believed. So to him that believeth, don't stop believing. It's a process. Let's look at this next verse. Well, that took a long time to get through one verse. Sorry about that. Verse 24, and straightway the father of the child cried out, and he said with tears, Lord, I believe that there's that word again believe or I have faith I believe Lord I believe help thou my unbelief God I believe you but help the part of me that doesn't believe that unbelief it was a Greek word it was translated unbelief you know what it means lack of faith stubbornly refusing to believe or act in accord with God's will or law. He said, God, I believe. Jesus, I believe. He called him Lord. I believe that you can do it. I believe in the impossible. I have faith. Please help my lack of faith. Please help the areas of my life where I don't believe or I don't act according to your will. I believe, but help my unbelief. This is a dichotomy. It's an intersection of faith and doubt. And we all have these. We all come to these areas in life and in different places in life. I know I do. There's areas like, God, I believe you. God, I trust you with all my whole heart, but help that part that doesn't. It's like, wait, what? I don't know what problems you have. Maybe it's fear or addiction or could be unforgiveness. But I know you can bring it to Jesus like this dad did. He brought it to Jesus. And even if you've got some doubt, and even if his people have let you down in the past, when you think Jesus' disciples would have been able to help if anybody could, and they made things worse. They didn't even help. I mean, some of y'all, you've been hurt by churches. 
you've been hurt by preachers or you've been hurt by supposed believers self-proclaimed I'm a believer and they hurt you and that's hard and I'm sorry but don't let a bad experience stop you from believing because that's going to hurt you that's going to keep you from freedom that's going to keep you from healing that's going to keep you from moving on can I say that I think in light of all of this what, what we've been talking about I've come to the conclusion that there are a lot of Christians that are unbelievers and a lot of times we've used that as like unbeliever means a non-Christian well, no if you look up the words that's not what it means uh, we've just talked about it and I've given you several meanings and stuff but there's a lot of Christians that don't believe there's a whole lot of Christians that are they believe in Jesus and they're saved and they're going to go to heaven one day but they're not living their life of faith they're not living their life believing that they don't believe that if they they don't believe that they are who God says they are they don't believe that if they give that God will bless them they don't believe that all these things they're Christians but just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a believer just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're living a life of faith that God calls you to live it doesn't mean you're walking in all that he has for you to walk in and it surely doesn't mean you're changing the world you're making an impact in the kingdom your beliefs will determine your impact. So be careful who you're connected to. Closely connected to. Because what they believe can be a big problem for your dreams. Or your purpose. For your future. For your freedom. Remember the story of the children of Israel came out of slavery and they were going to where God had called them to go into the promised land and Moses sent 12 spies in to spy out the land and he sends these 12 in there and they came back out and only Joshua and Caleb believed God. Only Joshua and Caleb, it's that same word we're talking about, belief, believe. They only, those two had faith to believe that God was bigger than any enemy that they saw, that God was big enough to do what he said he could do. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that believed, and the other ten were like, oh, he can't do it. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. They're going to kill us all. It was God was wrong. Moses was wrong. We need to just go back to Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb really did believe. But guess what? They had to wander around in the desert for 40 more years because of the people that they were connected to. Joshua and Caleb had the belief and the faith to walk into all that God had for them that day, in that moment. But because of the people that they were yoked to, because of the people that they were in covenant with, they wandered for 40 years and waited on that whole generation to die. Imagine being the last one left alive. That whole generation. And that's all they're waiting on. Hey man, how you feeling today? About ready to pass. I know this desert's rough. Just, we release you. You can go on. See you, old Ben. Like, as soon as that guy like died and they're like, hey, we had the funeral, Joshua, Joshua was like, let's go to Jericho. Like, think about that. Joshua and Caleb had the faith, but they waited 40 years because of the people they were tied to. Mm. Man. Some of y'all are called to great... All of you are called to great things in your life. Not some of you, all of you. There is greatness inside of you. But because of the people that you have aligned yourself with and the covenants that you choose to walk in, you've got major delays. There have been major setbacks. 
and it's not over and it's not too late but we need to think about it who are you connected to who are you yoked to look at 2 Corinthians 6 14 this is a familiar verse you've probably heard it before do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light and darkness have with darkness what harmony is there between Christ and Belial what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever so this word be ye not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever that first part and then it says it again here what can a believer have in common with an unbeliever it's a Greek word and it means unbelieving someone lacking in trust a doubter a faithless person Paul is warning not to be unequally yoked yoke is something that they used to put they would put on two oxen to pull a cart or plow a field or pick up hay in the field and it would hook two oxen together almost touching and they would work they would walk in purpose they would get stuff done and he's saying don't be unequally yoked don't hook yourself and your purpose and your future and your worth to somebody that doesn't have any faith to somebody that can't believe. Somebody that doesn't believe the best is yet to come. To somebody that doesn't believe that God's big enough to work it out. To somebody that doesn't believe that they have a purpose and a life in God and a ministry. And a, Don't closely connect yourself and your purpose and your future to somebody that doesn't believe. It's easy to just say, oh, yeah, that means unbelievers. That's talking about somebody that's not Christian or doesn't believe in Jesus. But that's not even necessarily what Paul was talking about. He's saying to people that don't have faith to believe what God says. There are Christians that are unbelievers um, that don't live by faith. They just trust what they can see. Um, in Deuteronomy, there's a, there's a scripture um, in Deuteronomy 22, and it's telling God's people that they're not allowed to yoke an ox with a donkey. He says, don't do it. Not allowed to do it. The ox is way stronger and what happens when you're unequally yoked? If you were to, to yoke an ox and a donkey, they end up doing circles. Because the ox is so much stronger. That's what happened, what Paul was talking about here when he said, don't be unequally yoked. If you unequally yoke two animals, that as the day goes on, more and more, it'll start doing circles instead of straight rows for planting the crops. You'll go in circles. And can I tell you that when you're unequally yoked to somebody, when you're hooked up to somebody that doesn't have faith, to somebody that doesn't believe, that's what you do. You get caught in these cycles and circles, and you go round and round and round. And, man, I feel like we were here last month. Ah, I feel like we were here last year. I feel like we were in the same place 10 years ago. And we're going round and round and round and round, and we're not fulfilling our purpose. Because we're too closely tied to people that, that don't believe. Don't be Christians that live by what we can see. We can't be led by fear. We can't be led by, by circumstances. Don't do spiritual things in fear. I was convicted of this. Like, 
we're supposed to do spiritual things in faith, not fear. So like when I pray, it's not supposed to be in fear. I'm not supposed to be praying out of fear. Now that's okay if that's where I'm at, but that's not supposed to become my pattern. I pray when I'm scared. I pray when I'm afraid. It's not how God set it up. Perfect love casts out all fear, and God is love. So if I'm praying in fear, no, God calls me to pray to do spiritual things in faith. So my prayers should be fueled by faith. Same, think of other spiritual things, worship. I'm not supposed to worship out of fear. I got to stand in here and worship because I'm afraid of what might happen if I don't, or I'm afraid about what's going to happen, so maybe if I worship, God will change. No, I'm not supposed to worship out of fear. I'm supposed to worship in faith. And as I worship, it builds my faith. As I sing about my God and as I sing about who I am and the truth, worship is designed to where we're all in unison speaking the truth about God and about ourselves, and it builds our faith. But not if we're worshiping in fear. When you read the Word, is it in fear of what might happen or is it in faith of what might happen? It's a big difference. We're not supposed to do spiritual things in fear. We do them in faith. See, we have decided that we're going to believe as a church and as a community and as your leader, we're going to believe. We're going to have faith. Doesn't matter what it looks like. We're going to believe that the best is yet to come. We're going to believe that our babies are okay. We're going to believe that he's going to do what he said he would do. We're going to trust his promises. And when your scenario or your circumstances say no, faith prepares for the miraculous. Jesus, um, before Jesus had done any miracles, they were at a wedding ceremony and he was just trying to hang out and have a good time with the disciples and stuff. And his mom came up and said, hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. You need to do something. And he said, woman, my time has not yet come. I got nothing to do. And Mary ignored him. Mary got a no from the God-man, right? And she ignored him, and she looks at the servants and brought him in and said, do whatever he said. This is going to be crazy. What? He said no. He just said my time has not come. And Mary's like, yeah, do, it, do what he said. So she got a no, but yet she prepared for a yes. Why? Because she believed she believed in her son. Even if no one else did at that point, she knew who he was. And she believed that he could do something about it. So even though she got told no, she prepared for a yes. So many of us are scared to build an ark that never gets used. I've been there. But that's what faith is, is doing something that doesn't make sense. And so when God calls you to your purpose and God calls you to a dream or God calls you to give or God calls you to be a part of something, a lot of times it's not going to make sense. And I've been the guy that's been scared to go out in my backyard and build an ark to prepare for something that may never happen. I feel like a lot of people are afraid of that but that's what it is to be a believer that's what faith is and I would rather have faith and build an ark that never gets used to reign and realize I've got nothing prepared that's where I'm at in life I'd rather look out my back door and see a giant ark and think, God, I thought you were going to fill that bad boy. At least I lived a life of faith and belief. Then for me to walk outside and notice rain's falling and I'm not ready for it. For me to notice God's sending the people that he said he was going to send and I can't handle it. I'm not going to be unprepared. So I'll keep building. 
over two years ago, like God, God placed a dream in, in mine and Jesse's heart and in, in all of our hearts as we shared it with you guys and stuff about, about the safe house for survivors trafficking and, and for moms with kids and stuff and it looked like kind of crazy and like yay it's gonna happen and then like is it gonna happen and there's a whole bunch of naysayers and there's a whole bunch of walls and there's a whole bunch of things that looked like they would stop that and like it would never happen and and we believed but not only did we believe for over two years we've been building We've been preparing and not just talking about physically building, but preparing and learning and getting ready and doing. Jesse's been doing all kind of classes and training and working for free and all kind of stuff, getting ready, preparing. Why? That doesn't make sense because it's what God said and that's what believers do. You believe what he said, not what you see. You believe what he said, not the obstacles. And it affects what you receive. We believe. We believe the impossible. I mean, if you think about it, we're, I'll just, I'll wrap this up with, we're going into baptism right now. You think about our Christian faith and what we believe. It's kind of funny to me that there are Christians that aren't believers. I mean, we're Christians. You've got past that. That's pretty tough to believe. Virgin had a baby and somehow he grew up and he took my sin and he took it on himself. And he, how? I don't know. Not real sure, except God worked it out and made it happen. It doesn't logically make sense. But it's what we believe. And it affects what we receive and it affects how we live. You know, Jesus never baptized anybody. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but Jesus never baptized anyone. And maybe it was just because he knew people would be bragging or you know like well Jesus baptized me who baptized you Peter <laughs> so Jesus just instructed his disciples to do the baptizing right so he never did anybody that's why I think I don't know really why but that may be the reason but Jesus never baptized anybody but he told his disciples to go and baptize and make disciples and that when somebody gets saved that they would get baptized as a sign of their salvation. And I know a lot of times churches and people have gotten this confused and they think that you have to be baptized to be saved and that's nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to be baptized to be saved. Nowhere in the Bible did they baptize babies. It was somebody that's made a decision and realized that Jesus died and paid for their sin and then they want to be baptized as a sign to the world to show I'm a Christian. Hey, Jesus' blood paid for my sin. He died on the cross for me, and I, I'm not ashamed of that. I want to let the world know that. And so as you're dunked under the water, it's a symbol of going down into death when Jesus went down into the grave. And then as you're pulled back up, it's a symbol of your new life rising from death. That's what salvation is. It's going from death to life. Sin is death. And Jesus came so that we could have life. So... You could say it's a sign of your salvation or it's like it's baptism is like the wedding ring of salvation. So you don't have to have the ring to be married. Like this this wedding ring right here, it's a sign of the covenant that I have with Jesse. It's our it's a sign of our marriage covenant. But watch this. We're still married. Right? Like it doesn't change just because I took it off. But I wear this ring for several different reasons to show, like, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm married or I'm in a covenant with Jesse. I wear this ring to show that. And so none of y'all get any ideas. <laughs> and 
some people think this is weird, but I have a little box in my garage. And every time I get ready to leave the house, I take off my wedding ring and I put it in the box and I hide it there in the garage because my relationship with Jesse is just between me and her. Everybody else doesn't need to know. That's not true. Okay. Some of you are looking at me kind of crazy. Like, I'm, that's not true. No, I'm not ashamed that I'm married or in a relationship. I'm proud of it. That's what baptism is. It's, uh, it's saying this is what I believe. I'm proud of my beliefs. And as friends and family and church and pastors stand around, I, I'm saying I want to get baptized. I, this is what I believe. And I want to live my life as a believer, a life of faith. Because Jesus... So do you want to be like Jesus? Because Jesus didn't baptize anybody, but Jesus got baptized. That's pretty cool. That right there should tell you that that being baptized doesn't take care of your sins. Like, that's not the purpose of it. It doesn't help you get saved because Jesus got baptized, and the Bible tells us that Jesus had to get baptized, that he went there on purpose to get baptized by John. And Jesus had no sin. So the baptism doesn't, like, take away your sin. But we all want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. So we follow his example in baptism Jesus walked through 30 years of obscurity we don't hardly know anything about his life for those 30 years what was he doing I think he was learning to believe walking in faith believing learning, believing learning to trust And on this day, um, we see where Jesus got baptized and we're done. On this day, Jesus was 30 years old and his cousin John was out there preaching and preparing the way for the Messiah, preparing the way for Jesus. And and he was out there baptizing people and, and scholars will tell us that John would have lines of people waiting in line to be baptized out there in the river. And let me just read you these couple verses in Matthew, Matthew 3, 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan and came down to the Jordan River unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him. John's like, no, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. You should be the one to baptize me. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, he went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John tells us about this same, this same story. John gives us a little more insight. He tells us that when John was baptizing, that John looked up and at some point John sees Jesus. And most people agree that John, most of the scholars agree that how John did it was he would preach a message and then people would line up in a big long line and they would walk into the river one at a time and he'd baptize them. So Jesus got in that line. Jesus got in line with humanity, with guys that were wanting to repent, turn from their sin. I thank God for a Savior that will get in line with us to be our example. And so, so Jesus got in line. and It was an open heaven moment. Literally, the heavens opened. And the Holy Trinity showed up. All three of them were there. The Son was in the water. The Father was speaking out of heaven. And the Holy Spirit, the dove, was in between landing on Jesus' shoulders. They were all three there. And the Father was speaking. 
the sun and the water, the Holy Spirit as a dove. And, and God says something that every one of you need to hear. And you need to believe. Because this belief will affect every other belief in your life. Or if you get this one wrong, you're going to believe the wrong truth about all kinds of other things. This one you got to get. Even Jesus, our example, when Jesus got baptized, this is the belief that God needed to bring home. He needed him to understand. It was the last thing we read. It's a father giving identity and worth to his son before he did anything. He hadn't done any miracles yet. He, he hadn't resisted the devil in the wilderness yet. Jesus, he hadn't done all this stuff yet. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But how are you well pleased? He hadn't done anything yet. Because the love of the Father is not dependent on what you do or don't do. You are his son. You are his daughter. And you need, that needs to be your strongest belief. You need to get that one right or it's going to screw up a lot of other beliefs. It's going to mess up a bunch of those little situational truths that we were talking about earlier. And you will never walk in the freedom that God has for you if you don't get that one right. You're his son. You're his daughter. He loves you. He's well pleased. He's proud. He's proud of you. So Jesus stood in line with sinners and humanity and and John, John starts feeling something. And John, in the, the book of John, it says, it tells us that he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Wait, that's him. That's Jesus. And we don't know, was that the moment that he realized, like, that's the Messiah is my cousin. When he saw Jesus in line. But somehow he knew. He looked up. Man, who wants to be that guy that was getting dunked whenever John looked up and saw, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, my bad, bro. I'm sorry about that. that seen somebody else over here that's the Lamb. And he's saying, Jesus, like, I'm not even worthy to tie your... I, I can't even put shoestrings in your air, Jesus's. No, John. Like, you need to baptize me. And Jesus is like, no. No, John. We have to fulfill all righteousness. No, John. This is what we need to do. How did John know? I think as I was reading this and studying it, I think he felt it was really familiar to him because this wasn't the first time that these two were both surrounded by water. And John felt something. If you go back and read when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and, and John's mama was pregnant with him, as soon as Mary walked in the house pregnant with Jesus, John's mama said, Oh, my baby's jumping and moving. What do you got inside you? John could feel it way back in the womb. They were surrounded with water. And, and I can't help but think that once Jesus standing in that line and when Jesus stepped into the water and they were both there surrounded by water, that John felt this familiar feeling. Behold, it's him. There he is. He's going to fix the problem. That's him. He felt it before. But Jesus, you sure? Jesus said we have to fulfill all righteousness. John, I'm not just here to die the death that humanity was supposed to die. I'm also going to live the life that humanity was supposed to live. John, we need to fulfill all righteousness so that I can be an example to many sons and daughters. And this will echo throughout the ages. And it will cause many to believe John in 2021 somebody's going to follow this example at New Horizon Worship Center in Waco and John's like where's that I've never heard of it Jesus said don't worry it doesn't matter we must fulfill all righteousness and our Savior was baptized so today 
Check your beliefs. Are you a believer? You believe what he said? We're about to have a celebration. We're going to head down the driveway and, and baptize Isaac. Because he's been saved and he believes what was done for him. Any of you that want to come, like I said, just follow the gravel driveway straight down. Not going to take long. But come down there and celebrate with them and cheer for him as he goes under that water and the new comes up. Good? Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you. Thank you that you're not just some faraway ruler, but that you're our Father. Thank you that you give us hope for a future. Thank you that you love us, that you gave us your word, that we can read it and hear your voice speak to our hearts and our minds. God, give us the courage to stand on your word and to believe what you say. We love you. We trust you. We're looking for you. We're going to yoke ourselves to fellow believers so that we can run with purpose. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.